Hello. How are you guys doing today? How's your weekend? Like it's getting weird now. <laughs> hey, uh, can you stand up, Nate? Just if you're this man's your newly pastor. Yeah. All right, not so fast. So I, I really wanted to come down and talk to you beforehand because there's a little bit of information I wanted to give you. It's way too late for that now. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. And I'm talking to you, brother. I'm talking to Elizabeth. I'm also talking to the rest of your team. You guys can stay if you want, right? You can listen because we're, we're going to preach through it. But it's going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And the reason I like this text, especially as it pertains to not just pastors and elders and deacons or people that are serving in the church, uh, it speaks to all of us. Now, a lot of times what we'll do is we're doing an installation service for installing elders or leaders or something like that. We will read through the qualifications. We're going to take a different approach today. I want to look at the life or listen to the life, if you will, of the one who wrote them. So, you know, it was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote a lot of books in the New Testament, but his life was very different in a few ways. One, he started his public ministry very late. So he, he was a kind of a second career person, but he was wildly successful. He planted lots of churches. He developed a lot of leaders. Uh, you will know that if you read through some of his letters in the New Testament. He authored 13 books in the New Testament. So God used this person in prolific ways, but there's more. By the end of his career, he was incarcerated. The Apostle Paul lost everything. He lost his friends. Most of the churches he planted were overrun by power-hungry people and are no longer there. He lost his money. He lost his support. His public ministry went away. And he eventually lost his health. Aren't you excited for this, Nate? And the churches that he planted begin to say things like this. You know, we're not so sure we want to invite you back because you don't win much. You suffer a lot. And we're really confused. If God is as glorious as you say he is, and if Jesus resurrected and all this wonderful thing, why is your life awful? You know, we need, to, we, we need to be pumped up a little bit. We need to be encouraged. And honestly, you don't, you don't look that great. You don't sound that great. And your life is kind of a disaster. So we're wondering why we're listening to you. In fact, the church in Corinth told them that, if you read through 2 Corinthians. We don't, we don't know if we should listen to you because you, we don't want to be like you. We don't, Paul, you're a disaster. Sit, please. But one of the curious things about his life, and this is, this is why we're reading it today, even though his life and his calling and his career fell apart, ended in ashes, he never lost heart. This is what we're going to talk about today. Now that speaks to every single person here. The Apostle Paul never lost heart, and we're going to talk about that. Now the Bible has 400 different leaders at least, and the vast majority of them ended badly, which I love because it's real. This is not a cleaned up version. Redemption is violent and it's dirty. 
So today we're installing Nate Wagner. And I will tell you, friend, the biggest temptation you're going to have in this seat is to lose heart. If you haven't already, quite frankly. All right? The biggest temptation I'm going to have as the lead pastor at Portico Church in Charlottesville is to lose heart. So what does that mean? Because this is going to be what the text is talking about. Well, it, it, it literally means when, over, like when evil overcomes your heart and you no longer have faith. That sounds very theological. Let me tell you what it feels like. It's not discouragement. It's more than that. It's not despair. It's more than that. It's not depression. It's actually more than that. It's not even doubt. So losing heart feels like your entire life is deflating. You don't really see the need anymore to carry on. It doesn't feel like there's a good path forward for you. So why try? Why don't I just start living for myself for a little bit? Because everything I seem to do that I can discern that it's God's call in my life, none of it really matters. It doesn't matter to me, to my family, to the people around me. So I lose heart. Losing heart is, is giving up this desperate dependence on God and starting to take control of your life back. And it can happen in seasons of despair or in failure, and it actually can happen in seasons of success because you will begin to believe that you've got it down. But it happens slowly. It's like a slow leak. I was told that early on. I lost her really quickly in ministry. And I was told by an older pastor, Pastor Steve King, who did finish well. He said, this happens like a slow leak. I hate air mattresses. Can I get an amen? All right? For some reason, my bride thinks they're amazing. And we're always buying an air mattress for somebody to come over and stay. But every single time I've slept on an air mattress without fail... You know, you pump it up, it's like, you know, 150 PSI. You, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning and I'm on the ground. It doesn't matter if it's brand new, if I just took it out of the box. They always slowly leak. That's what it feels like to lose heart. You go to bed on this wonderful, cushy, beautiful air mattress, and at some point you wake up in the cold night and you're on the floor. That's what it feels like to lose heart. And everyone is susceptible to it. Lack of interest. I just don't know if it matters anymore. We are meant to live with a full heart. But so much of our life brings us to a point of losing heart. We're going to read a text that speaks of this twice. So let's jump into it. I want you to watch for the word losing heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. Here we go. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, but we have this treasure that is the glory of God, that is the fullness of God. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of God, or the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. But since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So bring it home, Paul. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we humbly ask this morning that you would open up. Let us not be veiled, Lord. Let us turn to you and see the glory of God in the face of Jesus this morning. Every single one of us need you. We are, we are losing heart. We know we're tempted to do it, if not walking in it in this moment. Lord, would you move us from, life, from death to life through your word? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Don't lose heart. That's it. We're going to look at three, three ways the text will challenge us in that. Don't lose heart. The first step to understanding how not to lose heart is what you find. So first, you've got to find your calling. And that's not just for Nate or pastors or deacons. It's for every single one of you. So how do we not lose heart? You find your calling. You need to understand what you're doing. Secondly, you need to find your power. Everybody has a way of getting through life. Everybody finds a source of energy of power. So you need to find your power. And lastly, as the text said, you got to find your focus. Because you can lose your focus and run into a wall very quickly. So we'll walk through those things. First is to find your calling. Now, the Apostle Paul's calling was always in question. 
remember, he wasn't there when Jesus was teaching. He was making tents or something like that. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was a Roman citizen. He had some credibility, but he wasn't part of the 12. So he was, I think, he was always a little bit, in, like, not insincere, but insecure. Now, Jesus did meet him and called him to be an apostle, but he came later. So the apostle Paul always felt like his calling was in question. Let's look at his resume. Could you imagine interviewing him for a pastor position? How would that go? So, Saul, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, can you maybe tell us about a time when you had a conflict in the workplace and how that went? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was this time when a deacon, I think he goes to this church, Stephen, he was in the town square and he was telling everybody about how God had... um, like how God's people had rejected his plan and how Jesus was actually the Messiah, and everybody got really cranky. Oh, yeah, that's a conflict. Remember that. So what did you do? Well, I held everybody's coats so they could stone him. Oh, well, everybody has a bad day. Reflecting on that, what did you do afterwards? Well, then I thought it would be good if I went around town dragging people out of their houses so we could get rid of the rest of the Christians. Great, great. You're overqualified. Move on. This is the Apostle Paul. Do you think that rented space in his head? You want to talk about the biggest failure in the history of Christendom? It is the Apostle Paul. Let me take you back to 1 Corinthians, his first letter to the church in Corinth, because they were seeking the gifts, but they were ignoring or rejecting the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And he's telling them, hey, this is 15 verse 9 of 1 Corinthians. I, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me is not in vain. This is not poetic language. He's telling everyone, I am the least qualified to be an apostle. You don't want me. If it wasn't for the fact that our Lord knocked me off my horse as I was persecuting the church and told me directly, you're persecuting the wrong thing. You're living your life against me. I don't belong here. I'm the worst of the worst. I'm the chief of sinners. You suffer too much, Paul. I don't want to be like you. That's a bad look. And this is what they were telling him. Friends, you want, you want a story of triumph, don't you? I talk to a lot of pastors across the Axwin network, and everybody's really confused about why things are unraveling. I'm going to push back on you guys a little bit. You guys resonate, not you specifically, right? But we, as churchgoers, resonate with stories of triumph, not tragedy. Right? You know what you do by doing that? You create arrogant pastors because you reward us when we grow the church the way you think it should be, right? You reward us when we hide our weaknesses and our sins so that we look good. And the apostle Paul, by God's grace, didn't even have that because everybody knew who he was. He couldn't hide a thing. So how do we find our calling? A few things, you know? Don't lose your heart, find your calling. One, know this, you're called by God, right here. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. 
what you have is this. You have the new covenant that is God's promise finally fully revealed in the person of Jesus. You have that. If you would read prior to this, he's saying, you know, it used to be that we would know God through his law, but that actually created death. Now we have one who knows God and has brought us grace. We see the glory of God. It's no less, it's actually fuller. And we know him by a work of grace. So you have that. The church embodies the person of God through God the Holy Spirit. You have this ministry. That has been given to you. You didn't take it. You didn't earn it. That's been given to you. Nay, that's been given to you. That's been given to me. That's been given to every single person that that claims that Jesus is their Lord. That's your ministry. And it's by the mercy of God. It's not efficient. The worst thing, in my opinion, it would have been better if he had just stuck with angels and just giving out booklets. Say, so read this and do it and believe in Jesus. We get in the way. But we have this ministry from God. We, this, he has called us. So you are called by God. It is not yours. It is not, it's not to make me special. It's not to make Nate special. We are not special people. We're not. How do we find our calling? Well, you're called to not just receive it from God. You're called to behold God. Man, I think we go sideways on this. If you look at the beginning, or look just in front of chapter 4, he's making this case that Jesus has come and given us something that we could never have on our own. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right? We're, not, we're born under the law, but Jesus fulfilled it for us. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from this Lord who is the Spirit. And then he says, therefore... We have this ministry. So you are called by God to behold him and the power and the beauty and the glory of God in the person and the work and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension and the soon return of Jesus. That is what we do. Once we miss that, we go sideways. So success in ministry is beholding Christ. And as we do that, we will be shaped by him. And sometimes that's not a fun process. And our serving of other people, whether you're a pastor or not, must come from the overflow of what we see in Jesus. See, we will not lose heart in ministry or in life if we understand our ministry is beholding Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to change us. Well, how else do we find our calling? Well, you're called to do God's work, God's way. Verses two through five, he says some weird things, doesn't he? But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Let me tell you this. Again, I speak to a lot of pastors. We are insecure, man. If, if, I can, if I can control your opinion of me, it's wonderful. I know you've heard me say that before. Um, everybody has parent issues. Can I just say that? We have 
daddy issues, mama drama, and it hurts us, and we get up. And if I don't, if, if I don't understand God as father, I gotta take that from you. Whatever I don't receive from God, I will be taking it from you, whether I know it or not. So what happens is we will tamper with the word of God. We will pull back on that verse because that's going to make people not like me. We'll push into this verse out of context because that's going to make people revere me. That word tamper right there is about diluting wine. We will dilute the word of God. See, ministry can be intoxicating when it gets me followers. But when we do it in our own power, for our own purposes, to heal our own pain, it leads to a very bad hangover. Paul says, no, no, you may not receive it, but that's not on me. We don't proclaim ourselves, he says in verse 5, for for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord. This is our calling. So if if you don't want to lose heart, understand the incredible treasure that God has given you. Like the entire history of mankind has waited for this. It's been given to us. So don't lose heart, find your calling. Secondly, don't lose heart, find your power. Verse 7. But, there's always that. Scripture always says that, doesn't it? Can't we just stop at the first part? But we have this treasure that is the power of God, the presence of God, the purpose of God. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So everything that we just explained, we, we can't contain it. We are jars of clay. Now, in the ancient Near East, they had jars all over, right? So it's, you know, like now we have Tupperware and glass bowls and all that, depending on when you were born, I guess. But jars of clay were disposable. If they got dirty, like they did have bronze and different things and, and, and glass, but if it was a clay jar and got dirty, it just broke it. It was cheap. It was disposable. Friends, you're disposable. You're a dirt bag. You're made from the dirt of the earth. We are not gods. And we're also not animals. We're made in the image of God. We are jars of clay. So everything that God gives us, we possess in jars of clay. We are breakable. We are fallible. We are weak. Friend, if your competence and your gifting and your discipline are all you have, you will not finish. And I speak to everyone. Because we have some gifted people here, don't we? It'll get you a long way. And as Jesus says, it just, it just means the crash is going to be more spectacular because you're not building your life on him. So, Find your power. Well, what is this power? I think we could all get it right. Well, it's the Holy Spirit. It's, yeah, sure. But what does it feel like? What does this power look like in real time? I don't even have to explain it. The text does a great job. So can we read this together? Verse 8 through 10. So God is showing off his power in jars of clay, us. Well, what does that feel like to us? He tells us. Can we read this together? All right, let's read this together. Ready? Let's go. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. 
persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That's what it feels like. It feels like getting to the edge and then going further than you have. Not because you're awesome, but because you're trusting in God. See, character is always built in a crucible. And many of us are walking away because we're not sure if we can trust God. He doesn't leave anyone in the grave. As if you would die to self, you're going with him. Um, I got to do a little bit of training, be a part of some training. Um, I'm part of a pastoral care network with Acts 29. You should be encouraged because they're putting more eyes on how do we keep churches strong and healthy. And I met another pastor out in Los Angeles, good friend of mine now. But we're just sitting down, right? And he's just being real. He's like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. He didn't say it that way. He said, I'm not, because he, he was careful, because we didn't know each other that well. He said, I'm not sure if, I, if, it's, if it's worth doing this anymore. I, and I said, why, man? You know, I'm listening. You don't speak much when somebody says that. He said, because I don't see the fruit in my church. We're still struggling after 10 years. What am I doing here? I, I don't know. You know, what, you know what verse God brought to mind? Always carrying around in your body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our bodies. That's in real time. The most important thing that this man could do for his church is show off the life of Jesus in his life, which was a disaster. The most important thing you can do is faithful endurance in the face of opposition. Give God the opportunity to be your strength. Serve others when you can't. Hold on to Jesus like he's all you got, because he is. And we worship together just sitting there at the table. He's like, yeah, I'm like, maybe the most important thing we do is in our weakness, be willing to show off the power of the resurrection in our weakness. Maybe that's what pastoring is. Don't lose heart. You gotta find this power because some of us are good and we can grow churches and we can make people say amen and we're dying inside because God's really not our strength. Number three, don't lose heart, find your focus. Paul ends here, doesn't he? I love it. So we don't lose heart. Then he says, you've got to find an eternal perspective. Because we're wasting away. But eternity isn't. All right, I know that there would be no forgiveness for me here if I showed up and I didn't give you a, an airline thing, all right? <laughs> so I know enough about that, right? So one of the things we're taught right off the bat when we learn to fly, here we go. It's hard to land an airplane. I've probably told you this one before, but I don't care. 
And when you're learning, but you actually use this tip throughout your whole career. I just talked to a kid who was going to flight school at Pensacola for the Navy. He was a UVA grad. He's like, what's one thing you can give me, Pastor? I'm like, here's a landing tip. And I gave it to him. So when you're landing, you're trying to transition from flying to the ground. And what happens is you look right in front of the plane because that's where you're going to land. When you look right in front of you, you overcorrect or undercorrect. You smack down and bounce, or you flare too quick, and then you float. So my instructor always told me, hey, hey, Connor, look down the runway. Look where you're going to be. And then your actions will align perfectly with that. And he was absolutely right. Friends, you spend most of your life looking at the circumstances around you and reacting. The Apostle Paul said that's a great way to, to ruin your life. What you need to do is have an eternal perspective. Look at where you're going to be. Look at who's purchased you. Don't look right in front of you. You'll overcorrect or you'll undercorrect. You'll think you have it all together or you'll give up quickly. So don't lose your focus. Don't lose your focus. 42% of pastors considered quitting this year, according to Barna. This is, this is good data. Stress, isolation, and politics. There's a holy war in our country. It's not being fought by the churches. It's being fought by those who think they have the values of Jesus versus those who think they have the virtues of Jesus. And it's been imported into our churches. And we're just like, we don't know what to do. We didn't learn this in seminary. So nine years ago, I was a pastor here. I was Nate. And the lead pastor rolled. And they said, can you be the lead? I'm like, absolutely not. That's what I said. That was absolutely not. I, I lost heart really, really quickly. There's no path forward for me here. I'm ready to leave. And people like Pastor John Reeve and his bride and my bride and some of you sitting here said, let's just exhale for a minute. And God gave me the calling and the power to walk a minute. You know, it's, it's amazing, right? And then six months ago, um, God calls me to, to leave, to be sent by you to another church. And my answer was, absolutely not. Not leaving. I don't have it in me. I don't want to do it. Find somebody else. And God said, look down the runway. All right, look where I'm taking you. Look, look where the whole church is going. Don't, it's, there's, there's a bigger story than you, Jason. And you're getting in the way. Right? That's not why. I, I had a calling. That church had lost five leaders really quick, and they were just about on the precipice of dying. And again, the same people encouraged me. Take a deep breath. Hey, maybe we should send you. My focus constantly swings back to what serves me, and I have to, I have to let God and others to know him and his word and his spirit shift my eyes down the runway and hold on to eternal perspective. Because the Apostle Paul said that there's no comparison by what you're experiencing now for what you're going to have in the future. Here's what he doesn't say. Your pain doesn't matter. Oh, no. It's going to crush you, man, outside of God. It will end you outside of Jesus. Your pain does matter. Your circumstances do matter. But he's saying, first of all, God's going to get you there. He's going to get you home. And what he's going to do in you and through you 
is going to make it all worth it. So are you focusing on that email? Are you focusing on that person who makes your gut tight, people leaving, people rejecting you at work because you're a Christian? Focus on the one who raised Jesus from the dead. He'll do it for you. He's going to get you home. So find your focus. I have to do it over and over and over. I do. So I'm going to ask you, friends. Nate, we're good. Now I'm talking to them. Did you go to sleep on a squishy air mattress? And wake up years later in the cold outside, it's raining, and you're laying on rocks, and it's deflated. Friend, you're losing heart. You're losing heart. The Apostle Paul penned Philippians, a book on joy, while he was incarcerated in a very small cell in Rome. Do you know what he was convinced of? The Apostle Paul was convinced he was not a prisoner of Nero. Who was he a prisoner of? He says it all over and over and over. Who was the Apostle Paul a prisoner of? The Lord Jesus Christ. Portico you, you'll see it in Ephesians. Paul knew those bars could not stop him from living abundant life. Paul knew that the worst thing that could ever happen to him was not prison. It had already happened to him, but Jesus took it from him. And Paul was absolutely convinced that Jesus was the jar of clay. Jesus stepped in, became a jar of clay, and was shattered for the Apostle Paul. He was shattered. That's the cross. He gave up his life. Shattered. And he has scars from it still. So that you and I can be whole through trusting him. The Apostle Paul gave his life for that. And he tended to think it was worth it. God has placed every single one of you here to be a witness to the power of God, to be a part of this drama of redemption. If you're not taking that seriously, you're wasting minutes. But first, you need to learn to live in desperate dependence on God, or else you're going to lose heart. And there's going to be a day when you wake up and you won't plan it, where you say, this isn't worth it anymore. Nate, I didn't get a vote for you. I got ripped off, didn't I? So let me do it now. I affirm you 100%. You worked in this church for seven years. God has worked a great work in your life. I love you, I believe in you, and I know that God called you. I knew it a long time ago. I just couldn't, I couldn't say it. Don't lose your heart, friend. Find your calling. Your friends, will, they, they will help you, right? Find your power. It's the Lord himself. And find that focus. We'll let you know when you're looking away from it. Find Jesus. Find Jesus. And lead us there. Lead us there. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Mm. You're so good. You have worked a story in our lives that we could never work. We can't undo the damage we've created. We can't make sense of the road ahead, and we certainly don't have the power to fix it. 
Jesus, you have done this. And you are here right in this moment. You are here. You are ready to receive people that don't know you and bring them new life. You are ready to forgive. You're ready to remove the stain of sin. You're ready to take people that doubt themselves and push them so that they can trust you in new and powerful ways. So your good hand is on this church. Your good hand is on Portico Charlottesville. Many miracles, so much mercy. We surrender ourselves and our lives and our future to you. We can only do it through the work of Jesus. Amen.